Hey guys, Serena here. If you're anything like us and have been feeling the crippling weight of the current state of our planet on your shoulders, you are not alone. Everywhere you look, there seems to be a new environmental disaster. Flooding in Libya, deadly wildfires in Canada and Maui, the list just never seems to end. And this relentless drumbeat of environmental crises can feel so overwhelming. It's not just the headlines, it's the images of polar bears stranded on melting ice, the choked skies of megacities, and once lush rainforests reduced to stumps and ash. These emotions can be incredibly isolating, leaving us feeling like nothing is ever going to change or get better, making us just want to throw our hands in the air and give up. However, it's important to remember that these feelings are shared by countless others who, like us, are deeply concerned about our planet's future. As people who care about the environment, it's nearly impossible to tune out and look away, but today we wanted to talk about what that is actually doing to our mental health and how we can better cope with our current climate reality. In this episode, we share personal anecdotes of how it affects us, find solace in shared experiences, and together seek ways to better cope and make a positive impact amidst the chaos. Welcome to Earth to Humans. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Uh, this is pr- I'm, I might be like just ever so slightly hungover today. Uh, <laughs> I had a wedding last night, so this is proof that I love you guys. <laughs> um, but you know, I just you know we we wanted to get into this conversation. I think it's like a a conversation that's a long time coming because I think it's just so close to home for all of us, something we're constantly thinking about. People in our communities are constantly thinking about. Um, so I, I, I think I just want to start with by asking you guys, like, how do you personally experience, like, quote unquote, climate despair? And like, if you could share specific moments where you felt like particularly overwhelmed by what we're facing every day. He wants to go first. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's tough. I can take a crack at it, I guess. I mean, it's it's all pervasive, right? Like, I think about it every day. Uh, not all the time, but like certainly every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the moments that are most challenging are when I feel isolated by it, right? Like, uh, either when I feel like there's nobody else that I can, like, express those feelings to, or when I feel like I'm 
constantly around people that that I can't express it to because mm-hmm. of the way that they would react or the way it would like cause them to kind of shut down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, on on like a day to day, that's I think what it's about. And but you know, and then conversations like this I think are helpful, right? Or like, you know, moments when I am able to like talk about that kind of stuff, right? I don't know. It's it's a messy topic and it's complicated, yeah. right? Yeah. What about you, Hannah? I think I, I am a really optimistic person. And I think I sometimes have days where I feel like I can really connect with nature and the natural world around me and that I feel like this kind of reciprocity and I feel like I've had, I've had one of those days today um where I can kind of just shut off the rest of the noise about nature and it's just me and nature and I feel very like involved in it um and that's because I went foraging this morning and then I went for a hike and then I went for a swim and then I've come home and I can see bunnies eating grass in the garden like Mm -hmm. it's one of those days where I feel really like good and connected and I don't Mm -hmm. feel massively anxious about the environment today I feel like I'm part of it and like things are okay (laughs) but then there are days where I am constantly triggered and it can be kind of something that happens in the morning and then your eyes open and then suddenly everything triggers you and everything feels like going to the supermarket feels too much and it I, I just can't do there's things that I absolutely can't do because I know they're going to completely overwhelm me um being in a city or and things like that and you just seem to be surrounded by it kind of just feels like one of those movie montages with like every kind of it like environmental catastrophe just being like fired at you all at once and it can be like incredibly overwhelming yeah I think I think that's right with like how I I feel sometimes too where there's like two different sides right like there's the the side where you're you feel personally connected and nothing else matters but you and that relationship to your surroundings. And it can feel so peaceful and welcoming and amazing. But it's like when you start to like look outside your bubble of you and your relationship to the earth, it can it can just you're exposed to everybody else's stuff right? And everyone else's like influence on the planet. It's sort of like you have like, um, I don't know, like, like a little baby and, you know, you can be like as kind and nice to that baby as you want. But as soon as you, you know, leave that bubble and you start seeing like people abusing it and it's like, wait, like, how do you square that? You know? So it's like your relationship and then other people's relationship and just having to witness, other people's often negative relationship to that thing that you think as so precious and so amazing it's really hard because it it does feel like like an abusive relationship that you're you know that you can't do anything about um I guess that's that's how it feels for me but I I totally understand that feeling of just sort of like with you Matt just sort of like how do I describe this thing that's so overwhelming and constant and maybe you don't think about it 24 7 but you definitely think about it like every day you know Mm -hmm. at some point in the day 
Um, but it is, a, I think it's a hard thing to like put your finger on and articulate because it's different for everybody. Um, and it's like, it's, it's so normalized too. Like for me, you know, and uh, like I, <clears throat> I was thinking about like Hannah, when you, you sort of started off by saying that, that you think of yourself as an optimist, right? Like I think of myself as a pessimist. Um, I have a number of distinct memories from like when I was in college, which, you know, was like 15 years ago at this point. <laughs> um, like, you know, and, and like the, the world was in a different place 15 years ago. Right. But like, I was taking all these environmental science classes and like learning about climate change and like starting, that was like when those feelings like, like that, that recognition of like the inevitability of a lot of these things, right? Certainly of the climate crisis and, and all these other issues that are intertwined with it. <clears throat> and, you know, I remember like having debates and like arguments with like my friends and colleagues who, who weren't, you know, uh, who, who were studying different things and weren't exposed to that. And those ideas were not like all pervasive in society like they are now, right? And I remember like, Tr earnestly trying to convince my friends that like we were going to see really dramatic impacts from climate change in our lifetime and they didn't believe me they didn't believe me you know and so like from that moment it was like i felt like my role was to like prove mm. that we're fucked <laughs> you know what i mean and like and so you know i i think about that still a lot right because it's like i imagined you know and i was also like you know doing a cinema and photography degree and i was like writing stories um at the time and i became known in all these classes as like the guy that was obsessed with the apocalypse because that I, guy you know, yeah like, <laughs> apocalypse so I spent a lot of this, yeah like this, i spent so much time like envisioning like what the like how it think how it would play out right and like i you know sometimes like i feel like i'm i'm living that worst case scenario mm -hmm. right now right mm -hmm. especially like you know like i read the paper every morning and it's like i mean the shit that has happened just in the last couple of months you know what i mean yeah like it's it's constant like i can't even yeah. keep up with it right you know the flooding, the fires, the like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I, I bet it's like a hard thing to be in that space where you're like trying to prove something that you feel in your bones to be true. But then at the end of it, when you start to be, uh, basically like, yeah, I was right. It's not like a satisfying not sort all. of moment. It's not like, fuck, I was right. Like, yeah damn it i don't yeah. want to be right but like I, I yeah yeah it's there the the sort of payoff at the end of it isn't satisfying and good feeling so that's i mean yeah i think that's like a hard that's a hard place to be and feel like over you know, you know like last 15 years sort of feeling like the result of all these things that you were thinking about and talking about have come true in the worst way um, Hannah, I, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you had, yeah, I think it was a therapist friend who just deals specifically in climate despair. And I wanted to pass the puck to you and, and kind of talk about that and, and what your friend sort of feels are 
those strategies with coping with some of these issues? Yeah, so she she's actually a board member of a charity that I work for, um, and I find her work really fascinating. So whenever she, she she's got a blog and she posts about eco anxiety and she does ecotherapy. So for people who are are kind of struggling with feeling like yeah we feel <laughs> basically she she specializes in that and it's really interesting because it was the first time I'd ever really heard of um anyone that that did but a lot of the things that she says so when I was reading about um yeah reading about her various different strategies one of them was finding community so connecting and engaging with um other people who have the same concerns as you and I find that really useful in some ways because I think for me something that I find very healing and very therapeutic is working on a local level so going out with people in my local community who aren't necessarily environmental scientists or anything like that and doing like clearing waterways of invasive plants and them having this kind of knowledge of something that's like very scientific but um they're there to like fight for their waterways and those people give me optimism they give me hope and I know it's so small but there's so many of those small things happening and when you learn when you engage with those small things and you learn about the next town on down the river that's doing the same thing and then the next town on and you're like oh this is actually way bigger than I thought it was and that fills me with hope but there's a flip side to that I think as well which is being triggered by other people's eco-anxiety and learning about things that you didn't know about oh. that, are, that are happening, that you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I needed, I needed support in a different way. And obviously it's, it's difficult when, when everybody, like a lot of people that are, especially environmental scientists, you're, you're, in a, you're on a quest for knowledge, basically. And like your knowledge will lead you down one road that leads you off into different avenues and whatever. Someone else has gone the opposite way and has found out about this completely different issue. So you approach your community and say, oh, I'm really worried about this. Like geoengineering was my last thing. Like after that episode that we did with Elizabeth Colbert, I was freaked out. Like it did really get into my head. Um... And I met my friend who was like really, really freaking out about like air pollution and how it was getting into food and getting into fungi and that like she's a forager and she was like talking about these like heavy metals and how she didn't know if she could trust foraging anymore. And it was not a good, like, yeah. And I don't know if you guys have found that ever before as well. Like that might be something that you can, can, because I think sometimes it's actually worse to talk to people that know about environmental issues than it is to talk about people who don't have a clue like talk to people that don't have a clue about it oh 100 percent, 100 percent. like I, i'll you know i'll call my mom and i'll be you know just sort of like hey mom how's it going and then she'll go on she watches the news all the time all the time all the time and i've kind of taken a step back intentionally from consuming news like, you know, I, I have a very specific way that I consume news and it's usually just by reading or podcasts. Like I can't, I can't do the like visual news cycle thing anymore. I just can't, but she consumes it that way, you know, and I'll just talk to her about, you know, like, oh, how did the air conditioner get, you know, how was that? How'd that install go? 
And then she'll go, did you hear da 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 in the news? And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't, you know, and then she'll just kind of and I'm like, do I sound like that to my friends? You know what I mean? Like, they're just sort of like, hey, Serena, like, you know, how's it going? And I'm just like, did you hear that they're, you know, and it's like. Uh, I think it, it definitely shines a mirror because, you know, like, A, not not everybody wants to hear that stuff all the time, which, like, I understand. But it, it's it's sort of like, like this, this thing that you, like, don't necessarily want to talk about. But, like, in our work and in our world, it's just so front and center that, like, it's it's like sort of part of our personalities maybe that we just like can't help it um and yeah no and I think coming across a, a fellow uh environmentally minded person exactly like you said Hannah like where you guys are going down two different rabbit sort of like your flavor of the day like which climate despair do you want to talk about today and it's usually not the same and I mean that's it, it, it's not helpful and I, I think it's sort of like you get to the end of those conversations and you're just like, cool. So we didn't solve anything. We're just like more anxious about another topic, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's interesting what because one of her other tips was about consumption of um, of, of media um, and and making sure that you as much as you want to be um, you want to be informed there also needs to be a point where you have to stop for the sake of your own mental health. Um, and I think you might have stopped that that day <laughs> and might have said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> L- looking at wildfires and where they are, like on a map, and then you meet someone. And my mum's exactly the same. She watches the news as well. So, and it is very disaster led um, yes. because that's what people go back for. It's for that kind of whatever hormones that releases that seems to be like as addictive as cigarettes like they go back for every single night to get that same thing but it's just it yeah it's 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 catastrophe like it's all all catastrophe like there's never never good news um so yeah I think yeah I think yeah I I feel like you have to really go out of your way and do a deep dive to find good news these days about the climate and the environment. Like it is not something that's front and center on the coverage of the day, either in print or podcast or whatever it is. Like it is definitely like, you really have to go out of your way to hear one good piece of news but these that's, days. I mean, like that's, be- I think that's a reflection of reality though. Yeah. I mean, you that's, know what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. And, and I think like, I don't know. I, I mean, Serena, you you were sort of talking about how, like, you know, maybe, you know, like, maybe it's just a part of my personality or, like, our personalities of, like, this is the way that, I don't like, we can't help but, you know, say that thing, like, share that that information. Surely that's a part of it, right? But, like, we're science communicators. Like, yeah. this is happening in the world. It's, yeah. you know, it, it to me, it feels like a responsibility to share that information with anybody who will listen and and at the same time like i also 
feel bad because I recognize like I'm probably triggering people all the time. You know, like we're probably triggering people like right now with this conversation, like with the content yeah. that we we produce, you know? Yeah. But like that's this is the real world that that we're living in, right? I mean, shit's falling apart. Like yeah. it's it's not we're not imagining it, yeah. you know? Uh, so but I don't know. At the same time, like like absolutely we need coping mechanisms, right? Like um so I don't know. I don't know. I I think, you know, I I am definitely guilty of being that person who's like, you know, oh, you think that's bad? Like <laughs> let's layer the shit on top of it. You know what I mean? Buckle like, up. <laughs> yeah. And and I think, you know, the other the other aspect of that is that I feel like, you know, I'm also like often thinking about the things that that we're doing and when I say we, I just mean like folks who folks who care about the environment and like want to stop climate change which i would hope would be like most people so maybe just collectively humanity like we often do things thinking that they're helping and then realize after the fact that it may have been counterproductive yeah right and so i feel like it's important to analyze the decisions that are happening now you know, like, through that lens, right? Because, like, we've made lots and lots of mistakes that I think ultimately ended up having a net negative impact. But Mm -hmm. at the time, we thought it was a good thing to do. And it was positive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, so I don't know. Like, I, one of the examples that popped into my head... um, is you know this trash cleanup so um i'm on the board of directors for the the friends group associated with the snake river birds of prey national conservation area this national conservation area just south of boise where i live and um you know the bureau of land management who is responsible for managing the area like wanted to organize you know for the 25th anniversary of the designation of this nca they wanted to organize the largest trash cleanup that had ever been conducted in the state of idaho right which like on the surface like that's a that's a good thing right um but like with my sort of like you know (laughs) pessimistic and like critical lens on this you know i and and i didn't like voice this very publicly i didn't go tell the people at blm this but just like within our board and our organization you know i kind of expressed like is this the best way to be spending our time and energy right like there is literally like a crisis going on like and the ecosystems within that nca are being very dramatically affected by this right like we've lost more than half of the native shrubland landscape. It's gone. It's never coming back. There is no way to restore it. And even if we could restore it under current conditions, in 20, 30, 50 years, the conditions are going to be so dramatically altered from what they are now that it's it's pointless, right? <laughs> like, and so there there's like an, an actual crisis happening on this landscape. And the way that we're choosing to, like, spend our energy is to, like, go pick up trash. You know, like, it, yeah. it's not, like, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it, 
and 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 I understand why. It's like we want to make it a more beautiful place, but I it's like I can't help myself from being like, let's look at the bigger picture here. Like we need to think like very deeply about how we spend our time, and this is not going to provide like a benefit that is worthy of the large amount of time and resources. And I'm like, how much carbon are we going to burn picking up this trash? Mm-hmm. Right? Like you're bringing, you know, you're, you're throwing huge dumpsters on the back of pick, you know, like dumpster trucks to like drive out to all these locations around the NCA. Like we're just burning carbon to like beauty, make it like make the area, you know, look better to us. Yeah. But like, it has no it has no impact on the larger issue in fact if you think about it like it might be a net negative impact yeah i mean that's just i think that is just a metaphor for so many other things going on where it's like you peel back the wallpaper you know that we just like freshly put on and then you peel it back and there's like huge amounts of mold and water damage under the surface and it's just like this is not uh, a a long-term solution eventually that is going to colonize the wallpaper right and then we're going to see what's underneath come come to the surface but I mean like what what in, in that scenario Matt like what are some some better solutions that you've thought of could be like better that time and money could better allocate to help that area Right. I mean, I don't know. That's the problem is like, that's the problem. I mean, yeah, the problem is it's so difficult to like (laughs) figure that out because there's so many unknowns. Right. But like one of the things that I have been like advocating for and that I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm banging my head against a wall with this is like we need to be thinking about the way these ecosystems like are inevitably going to change and like what the condition of that landscape will be like 20, 30, 40, 50 years into the future. And we need to be like expending significantly more resources than we are right now to try to um, facilitate uh, like it's, it's not restoration anymore, but you know, we need a new word for it, but like a a point that Elizabeth Colbert made in in her book under a white sky, uh, like over and over again, which is that we've gone so far past the point of uh, just being able to allow natural systems to just function on their own, right? Like human behavior and all of the things that we're doing are so intertwined with everything and the way every ecosystem functions. Like we need to get into that mindset, right? And stop thinking that like we can just try to get back to some point in the past mm-hmm. and we need to think towards the future and we need to take i think more risks right um and in like really envision like what that future might look like and like how can we twist that right because it's like it's really hard you know, we think about all the catastrophic things that, that are happening and that are inevitably, inevitably going to happen in the future. I think we need to, like, twist that vision so that we say, okay, this is the reality. Like, how do we come up with ways to make that 
as beneficial as possible, right? Yeah. Like both for human communities and for like ecosystems and natural systems. Yeah. And that's it it's such a, a monumental task and you know part of my frustration is that like, you know, even on the sort of small scale like talking about just like local ecosystems near where I live, like I it, it's really difficult to like find scientists and researchers who are working on that landscape that are willing to go there even just as a thought experiment you know yeah so i don't know (laughs) yeah i mean i I keep coming back to this word you used a little bit earlier when you were like i feel this responsibility to like evangelize these issues and i think part of the the problem that you might be facing with that particular group in that particular area is like you know, you're putting a wrinkle in some of these, like, plans that you don't think are that productive, but then probably the rest of the team is like, all right, then, like, what do we do? What's, like, what what do we do instead? And instead of, like, maybe allocating that time and resources to figure what that out, what that might be, it's, it's doing something that's tangible, picking up trash, Mm-hmm. And it'll it'll make the landscape look a little bit better. That's a deliverable. That's something that people can see. It's something that people can point to and be like, my money did that. Mm-hmm. You can see it. You can see the change. And we're good. And it usually ends there. And it's like, okay, maybe we start there. But we have to keep engaging with the with the issue. It's our responsibility to like push that like you're saying like push those ideas and push that and take risks and do these bigger things that might be hard and complicated and um messy but i mean that's that's the nature of nature nature is messy and i think it's going to take messy solutions to 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 fix this um i i you know i i'm traveling for a wedding uh this weekend but uh yesterday I went to this art installation at the San Francisco Exploratorium that I was, I've been so excited to go to for like the past month, a couple months. Um, and it's, uh, this visual immersive installation by this, um, this guy, Bernie Krause, who's like a famous, um, uh, I forget the, the actual title for it, but he's like a historian and a, uh, a keeper of sound, uh, in nature. So he went out in the 90s and recorded all of these places, the Amazon, places in Africa, places in California um, that, uh, you know, have these sort of biologically significant areas, rainforest, you know, um, alpine forests, etc. So he's got, you know, all these different places that he's recorded. And so the installation starts with an introduction by him sort of saying like, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what, and then he shows you these before and afters to just kind of give you a taste of what he's talking about. And he, he plays a clip. So it's not just the music, but it's like, you see these visual representations of the histogram of the audio. So you get like a visual picture to go along with the audio of what you're hearing. So it'll be like a before and it'll be like maybe 10 seconds and he's talking about how dynamic this chunk of sound is. He points out particular species you're hearing. And then he'll say, and I went back 
15 years later to the same spot, same time of year, you know, and you see the histogram and it's just gone. It's just silent either because of logging deforestation. So that actual forest doesn't exist anymore or in the, the place in California in Sequoia Kings Canyon, the drought had created the, the loss of this Creek that was running by. So there's no longer this like stopover area for any animals. And that it was just like super powerful, like just how, you, you know, we we're witnessing how things are changing visually, but also the audio of our world has shifted so much too. And so then for the the rest of the the experience, which is like 90 minutes, um, he goes to each of these places and just shows you these recordings in the 90s and how you see how dynamic it is. Like it's it's it, it was incredible to to sit there and I was just mesmerized the whole the whole time. I, I, I didn't want it to end. Um, but you, but I would see people come in, sit down for like two minutes and be like, eh, and then leave, you know? So it was just sort of this like ever rotating thing of people coming in being like, okay, like I got it. And then leaving. But I was just like, how can you like, ugh. but it, it was, it was powerful because it made me sad, but it also made me like so privileged to be to to bear witness to this and to like get to experience what those areas sounded like which is is something that's lost right that's lost forever but he's created this catalog that people can listen to as memory so like this concept of just sort of like sound as memory as something that we can't return to he did you know this this part of he did an ocean section which was my favorite you know the clicks of all these sperm whales and I mean it was amazing so like I left feeling very conflicted because I was like you know this is why I do what I do because I'm trying to get people to care but at the same time like just this overwhelming sense of sadness that this is what we've lost is lost forever and I don't know how to square that in my mind. So, I mean, I think that's what I, that was my big piece that I wanted to talk about today. It was just sort of like that, that conflicting sense of despair and sadness and hope and just how messy it is and how we can't put a finger on what that means and what that does to our, our mental health and our physical health. And it just, it, it's so convoluted, but that there are people that are doing cool things like this but but there's no solution like you know you, you experience this and there, there's no sort of ending that's like okay so we gotta go do this now to make the world better you know it's just it just le- kind of leaves you as as it is and i i don't know yeah for sure and and there's you know there's i i think for folks who work in our field of science communication, there is this constant push to present solutions, right? To present like solutions oriented stories. Right. Like content. you won't even be heard if you don't present solutions. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. But that's so challenging because it, it, it often feels dishonest. Right. Like when I watch documentaries, you know, that, and I mean, 
anybody who's seen any environmental doc knows what I'm talking about. It's like you watch, you know, an hour and 20 minutes about like how catastrophic a situation is or like all the horrible things that are going. And then it's like, oh, and there's maybe 10 minutes set aside at the end to be like, but it's all good because we Mm -hmm. have these solutions. And like, you know, you as an individual can do X, Y, Z. And if we all do that together, then everything's going to be fine. And it's like, yeah, but we're not all going to do that together. <laughs> like, there's no way. Like, it, it, it hasn't happened yet. And, like, anybody who lives in our society now, like, understands that we can't meet those goals, you know? Like, so that dichotomy is very frustrating, right? I think yeah. for anybody who, who works in, in science communication or, or any interrelated field, you know? Yeah. I want to go back to Hannah. Because, you know, I feel I feel like we need a, another like injection of optimism here. <laughs> I was literally, yeah. I I mean, I since Matt started talking about the trash clean, um, I completely agree with you. I'm just going to say that for starters because I don't think that that's the most effective thing in that ecosystem. Um, whatever that is, I also don't know. Um, but I think. I've I've volunteered for a marine uh, conservation organisation in the UK for years, organising beach cleans. And I understood that there was a conflict there in that by trying to solve one issue, quite often in environmentalism, you exacerbate another. So by people all driving their cars to the beach to come and tra- like trash clean causes loads of carbon and, and that sort of thing. But something that I will say about trash cleaning and the tangibility of it is that it's like a gateway drug to environmentalism and I've seen it with my own eyes where people come to the beach and at first they're like oh the, our, our beach is clean like you don't we don't need to clean it then they start digging through the sand dunes then they start looking really closely and by five minutes later they filled an entire trash bag and they're like in complete disbelief that their beach was actually that di- that dirty and um how much trash they've cleaned and you can just kind of see this change in their attitude and the amount of times I've been asked okay what can I do now like how can I change things to to help with this issue and I think when you watch these environmental documentaries and there's this thing at the end that's like if everybody just does one thing everybody's not going to do one thing but I think as environmental communicators it is our job to reach individuals and I know for sure that there are people around me who come to me for advice on how they can be better, how they can do better. I also have friends who apologise to me when they're talking about bad things they did for the environment and I like them a little bit less every time that they do it. Um, And I secretly sit there and I'm like, please stop, just just stop. (laughs) If we're still going to be friends, like just... mm. But then at the same time, I have friends who consciously and like my mum is like a prime example of this as somebody who strives to be better all the time and she does it she does it because she's like she wants to be a better person she's a great person she wants to be better but she also does it because of me like because I'm in her life and she knows how much I care um she also has grandchildren and she knows that like she wants their future to be better so she listens to me like and there's that and I think as much as and as big as these issues are in on the planet 
that's what gives me hope is like individual people like these kind of 70 year old ladies that have just bought some new waders to like go and clean the um Himalayan balsam out of their local stream so that the birds come back like those people who have started by doing things like trash cleans or started by doing invasive species removal and then you find out that they've also like I don't know they've started walking more instead of taking their car to places and stuff because they see that their actions work and as much as they're not like globally significant they they can be locally so I think yeah that's my dose of my dose of optimism here is that I just see the more I work in my local community the more I see these things and it gives me hope I think the only thing that gives me hope is these hyper local focuses I mean really like that that's really the only thing that kind of gets me through the day at this point because it is something that you can actually see change you know what I mean it's like it's it's something that you can feel and experience and like I don't think that it's for not like I think people doing these sort of smaller things in their own communities makes a difference like it's not it's not nothing and even as sort like I, I think I'm probably somewhere in between you and Matt where I'm like maybe an optimistic pessimist or a pessimistic optimist I don't know but you know it, it's it's just like it, the only thing that that seems to carry us through to the next day you know what I mean and when you when you think globally shit's just overwhelming and I I don't know how to cope with that sometimes to be honest like it just it just makes me filled with sadness and despair and also like this anger for like my fellow human you know where I'm just like how did we get how did we let this happen how did how do how do we continue to let this happen how how do people like this exist on the planet when but when we do focus on those hyper local solutions to problems i think we're able to engage with it on on just like a piecemeal level that's digestible and and easier but but that that keyword is easier like it is an easier task and ask and i worry sometimes if we all just even if we all focused on our own little local solutions to problems is that going to make a dent in the bigger picture i don't know yeah i mean i oh sorry go ahead (laughs) i was just gonna say i think the local things give me hope so that i have the strength to to do the global things um because if i focus just on the global things the overwhelm is too much but when i have that like that bit of fire from the local stuff yeah, I can I can look at the bigger picture and, and try and apply those things that I'm learning and that hope to trying to not feel completely like the world's absolutely fucked. Yeah. What were you going to say, Matt? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I mean, I think, like, from my perspective, the sweet spot is, like, local action that is both productive for like those issues that are local that like build community and that crosses over so that you're not just creating like an environmental benefit but you're building 
resiliency mm-hmm. within the community, right? So you're um, doing things that will hopefully allow a community to be more resilient when those catastrophic things occur, right? Um, I think is super important. And I think there's so much like crossover, right? It's like there's like like resilient to build resilient communities, you need to do the environmentally positive things. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm totally in agreement yeah. with both of you on, 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 on that issue. And then I think the other thing I wanted to mention, which, you know, Hannah, you like started off the conversation with this, like right off the bat, you were like, I'm feeling good because I went out for hike and I went foraging this morning. I think like just that like that simple act is so important of just you know taking a break from like thinking about all this stuff and just getting out into you know i don't know whatever natural means for you right which is going to be different for everybody it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out into some pristine wilderness area it could be like a city park or whatever but like to get out outside and get to that place where you feel how amazing natural systems are and yeah. you experience like 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 the beauty it, but that could be visual it could be auditory it could be both it you know uh, I, I was just um i've been like reviewing uh all the audio that i recorded on my appalachian trail through hike last year and I recorded this bit of audio on like one of the best days I had out on the trail because I was just like feeling these things and I felt like I had to say it before I forgot it. And, you know, I was basically talking about how like how could anybody feel like, you know, I, I just had this amazing day and there was so many like I just felt like everything I saw around the next bend was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't feel pessimistic today. Like you know what I mean? Like all this shit's happening and I'm aware of it, but like this is still here, you know? And like it, it maybe it's going to change. I mean, certainly it's going to change, but like that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be less amazing and beautiful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I think like that is so important, you know? Uh, and I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I get frustrated with, the sort of messaging of like, oh yeah, we gotta like teach kids how to like love the earth. I, I feel like that's bullshit, right? Like we all love the earth. It's 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 inherent. It's a part of who we are. You just need to get out and just feel those feelings, right? Yeah. Like and just allow yourself to like recognize that no matter what, this planet's amazing, right? Like it's yeah. just yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think there's an allure, though. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've just been tempted to be like, you know, I'm just going to go off the grid. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, like, you go into the forest and you're like, you know, things look okay here. But I think it's that responsibility element of, like, participating in society and not just checking out and being like, my little corner of the world is good. And I'm good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's doing that hard thing of coming back 
from those those places of peace and just feeling connected and it, all of those things that we experience when we go out into nature, but coming back to the real world and reality, doing the hard thing of being like, okay, so how do I get people to experience what I just experienced? And I think that's right, Matt. Like, I think we don't have to teach kids to love nature. We are, it isn't baked into our DNA. It's just sort of like, reminding waking people up Mm -hmm. to what they already know you know Mm -hmm. um i wanted to read a quote from one of my favorite authors jared k anderson just a couple of lines from his stuff that i think goes well with what we're talking about right now um and it goes like this we borrow our atoms the universe owns them the universe borrows our love and wonder Those belong to us. You are nature and nature will go on, but there is kindness that only you can choose to bring to the world. Moss is old, home on every continent. No roots, no towering trunks, yet it tasted the air before the first feather, before shrews stirred the leaf litter. When your mind hisses like a kettle, look to your elder, to the green lessons of soft, simple, quiet beneath the sun. Serena, just as you started saying that beautiful quote, a bird has just come and sat outside my window and started singing, and I don't know if either of you could hear it, but if it pops up on the audio, it's literally going to sound like we've put it in the background right outside my window. (laughs) So I just had both of these. I was like, oh, this is like the most pleasant thing ever. Oh... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, just to kind of wrap up, guys, like, how are you feeling about, like, the prospect of where we're at and the prospect of our planet as a whole? And, you know, with everything that we talked about, all this despair, complicated feelings, but, you know, like, what's your sense of, like, what do you think the future holds for our planet? I feel like as much as I'm an optimist, I've... I'm very concerned and I think like my optimism helps me get through that like it helps me kind of conquer my eco-anxiety but I think um the things that I see and what's happening at the moment I I I don't think it looks good um and even though I've been I I do constantly always talk about like these things that like the solutions and yeah I I I I don't feel good about it. Yeah, I feel incredibly concerned about what my own future and what the future of my niece and nephew looks like. It's mm. yeah, looks a bit bleak. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm the pessimist. I don't. I think <laughs> like I I can grasp at the idea that. You know, we've been talking about sort of local versus global and like the benefits of thinking about local solutions. And obviously, like local solutions are are going to have a positive impact on the bigger issue, even if it's like so minuscule that it's barely measurable or whatever. And it's not necessarily going to like turn things around. But if we take another if we're if we're thinking about global, right, and all the problems and all the things that are going on that we've discussed. And then you take another big step back 
Mm. And you think about like geologic time, right? Mm. There's been five mass extinctions over the past, what, like several hundred million years. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not like life goes away, you know? Uh, this, this is, um, in a certain sense, a part of the natural processes of the earth, right? We're going through this mass extinction event. It's, you know, it's going to be horrible and traumatic for humanity in, in many, many respects. And obviously lots of species are going to go away forever. But that, that period of time will inevitably be followed by a resurgence of life and uh you know like new species being born uh, Mm -hmm. through evolution like to fill all these ecological niches that have been left empty we're not going to see that but you know i think people will be around to see it Mm -hmm. yeah i I struggle with this concept that a lot of people have of like, I saw one thing, it was graffiti. It was like, plants will grow on the ashes of capitalism or something like that. And I was like, yeah, probably. Yeah. But do I want to live in a world without toucans and silverback gorillas and white rhinoceros and bioluminescent algae and bacteria no i don't you know and so sort of this like the idea that like the world will cycle through and it's going to be okay yes i believe that but i'm still gonna claw and fight to my last breath to try and keep these species here you know like some form of life, yes, will probably come and replace it. And yes, this is cyclical in some sense. But the fact that we have created this Anthropocene, human-impacted, mass extinction, climate crisis, I, I just I grieve for the species that we're going to lose. Because it wasn't that it's, it's not their fault. It's not fair. And... I don't think it's fair that we'll probably survive it. You know what I mean? And the, I, I don't think the focus should be on humans surviving this. I think the focus should be on what we're going to lose. Holding it precious while we have it. Um, but that's not a good, you know, that's that's not a good ending to the story. But No, that's fair, though. And I think, like, the the one little piece I'll add to that, right, is that nothing's truly inevitable. That's true. And things can feel inevitable, but like, we really don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, and I mean, the, the example I'll put forth is the Vaquito, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I spent five years of my life just so deeply embedded in all of the issues surrounding the decline of this unique species and throughout that entire period, the inevitability of the extinction of the vaquita just weighed on me so heavily. And, you know, I, like, 
I, I told so many people, you know, anybody who would ask, like, I can't see a path forward for this species. Like, I just can't envision how it could survive this extinction crisis. Um, when we released Sea of Shadows in 2019, the population estimate was 15 individuals. Four years later, the population estimate is, is 15 individuals. So it plateaued, right? Like something mm -hmm. happened that uh, I never could have envisioned. And it's not like none of the problems are solved, you mm -hmm. know, but, you know, somehow like they're holding on, you know, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's something to be said, too, about that work that you did, Matt, like that. I think that was a net positive, even though the solutions weren't solved, the bigger picture issues, you brought awareness. You got people to care about this tiny little purpose that nobody would ever heard of. You know what I mean? And like, I'm getting emotional, too. Just like you and your passion for this species, like that means something. And I don't think that you should take that as like a, a, um, a failure because, because I think people like us who are working to do this stuff, it, it all means something and it's, it's not for naught. And I think you had a direct impact on the species hanging on up to this point where we are now. So Yeah. Yeah, sorry to, <laughs> I didn't no. mean to get all emotional about that. <laughs> it was kind of unexpected, but um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, it's, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anything else to say about that. <laughs> well, any final thoughts, guys? I had a question that I think is quite an interesting one. Like, I think people's answers are always quite interesting in that, like, I've, thought before whether I would prefer to be somebody who doesn't give a shit like mm. somebody who is like I'm alive now I've got one life and I'm gonna ride a jet ski everywhere I go and I'm gonna <laughs> eat steak for breakfast lunch and dinner and I'm gonna buy it from the worst welfare thing I possibly can and I'm gonna I'm gonna live this life like Obviously, like, it would mean a complete personality transplant, but would I prefer to live a life where eco-anxiety was just not a thing? I didn't care about the environment. Like, if I could go back and change my degree and if I could, whatever point in nature, whatever point radicalised my view on nature, just remove that from my life. Like, if you could do that and live a live a eco-anxiety free life would you no way no way yeah i mean it's easy to say no right but like yeah i understand the appeal <laughs> for sure <laughs> for sure yeah, yeah. I, but i think that's a really interesting question to leave our listeners you know with like that balance between your own like the wounds you're inflicting on your own self for the sake of the greater good of the planet. Um, and I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer to that because I, I would understand people who would be like, yeah, 
that would be easier and I'd have probably a more fun existence on this planet with my one life. But, um, you know, I think if you choose the, the path of more resistance, um, I think you're, I think you are more in line with what the rest of the species on this planet would say, because I think, I think if every other living thing could talk and we could understand them in that way, I think that's all that they would know is to fight and push forward and to live and thrive and exist and in a world that is here for everybody and will continue to exist for everybody. So with that, I guess, thank you for this conversation, y'all. <laughs> yeah, thanks. For sure. <laughs> you know, um, we didn't we didn't solve all the problems of the day, but um, I feel better. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to talk about it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Deep breaths. We hope you found today's conversation helpful, healing, or at least relatable. And let us know what you think about Hannah's parting question. Would you give up caring about the environment for a life of ignorant bliss? Let us know on Instagram and Facebook at Earth to Humans Pod. And if you haven't already, leave us a quick review and rating wherever you're listening now. It really helps others find the show. Today's episode was produced by me, Serena Simons, and our music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. <laughs>